Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hello again, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of The Happy MD in beautiful Seattle, Washington, with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. I have with me a friend of the broadcast, Pam Pappas, MD, one of our coaches here at The Happy MD. Pam's trained as a psychiatrist. She's also an ICF certified coach and one of our burnout prevention coaches here at the website. So if you come to the website and hammer the button that says coaching, you can see Pam's bio and book a discovery session. Our discovery sessions are a place where you can get a second opinion and a conversation from a coach about your situation. So if you're struggling, especially if you're saying things like, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this, come on in, look at the bios, schedule a discovery session with one of the coaches, and that's always no cost, no obligation, and completely confidential. Pam and I are going to have, I think, an important discussion here today because there is some professional conflict And there is some kerfuffle in the industry of psychiatry, psychotherapy, and coaching about, hey, what's the most appropriate thing for a doctor who's burned out? There's a bit of a brush fire battle between psychiatrists, therapists, and coaches at this point in time. So let's talk a little bit about that, especially if you're feeling stressed or worried about whether or not you're burnout, it might have you a little bit confused about where to turn. So let's give you our take on this. And Pam is uh, obviously qualified to talk on both sides of the therapy and coaching issue. Just real quick, ICF, International Coach Federation, is the certification body for coaches. And both Pam and I are ICF certified coaches. And so uh, we do carry that extra certification. Pam, lead us off. How do you want to start this? Well, this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So thank you for inviting me to chat about it with you and kind of bounce some ideas back and forth. Because certainly a lot of the physicians that have come in for discovery calls come in in a suffering context. And sometimes they're having fatigue, they're sad. I had one couple of weeks ago that said that every day she goes to work and she has to shut the office door and just cry there for a while. So having crying spells actively at work, having insomnia, feeling ineffective at what they do. And sometimes these experiences that they have can overlap with the typical endogenous symptoms of depression. So am I just burned out? Am I majorly depressed? Do I meet criteria for that illness in the DSM-5? And did one follow the other? Where am I in this continuum? Is there a continuum? And really, practically speaking, what do I do? Well, I think you and I would both agree that there is a continuum, right? Right. If you look at the DSM Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Illnesses, right? I don't believe burnout is in there. No as a diagnosable illness, certainly depression is. And what I want to point out just real quick, there's plenty of research that shows that cognitive behavioral therapy is an acceptable treatment for mild to moderate depression that is equal to 
the effectiveness of medication. Is that a, a reasonable thing for me to say? Well, that's true. And so is exercise. <laughs> and so is actually certain botanical medicines can be helpful. Go ahead and name them. Well, I, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. But some were, you know, as effective as Zoloft as antidepressants. But but the thing is that there are some things in the arsenal of what a person can do. And usually by the time they've booked a discovery call and are talking with me, they've tried exercise or, you know, some of these various things and, and they're still feeling miserable. And they're thinking, gosh, do I just need to get out of medicine? Is is not, do I need to change my job, but do I just need not to be a doctor anymore? And that seems like a really huge <laughs> cure for the problem, you know, like lopping off their arm. And when I see people who are so far down into, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this, that they're spending most of their waking hours just dealing with the busy work of their practice just to keep their lips above the level of the water. It can be difficult to differentiate these things. I have had people come to me and ask me to be their coach who were seeing psychiatrists and therapists on medicine at home on disability leave. And so what I want to say loud and clear is that coaching is not incompatible with simultaneous medication, therapy, and other things that are going on to help support you, especially if you've been taken way down by whatever kicked this off. And typically, again, it's not just one thing. Yes, work is stressful. Yes, you're having to do charts after the kids go to bed. But there's often two and three additional factors that are going on, like marriage conflict, a sick child, your own personal illness, all sorts of things, uh, financial distress, all sorts of things pile on to make these situations worse and worse over time for some people. You know, one of the things also that has worsened with the pandemic is the sense that physicians have that they cannot deliver the kind of care that they know their patients need and that they were trained to provide. Right. With the pandemic, I mean, in some cities, of course, there's a lot of triaging that ends up happening and sometimes feeling premature about it or not admitting somebody because you've got three other people that are that look sicker. And so the nomenclature of moral distress or moral injury comes into it where the physician's been sent into battle, so to speak, and not provisioned or resourced with enough staff or equipment or time or energy to give the care that they know they need. And so that's an additional intensification of all this. Well, and I'll give you another flavor that's on the side, because uh, uh, a lot of people might not realize in the COVID pandemic, about only about one third of physicians were overwhelmed by that. Because in a full spectrum healthcare delivery organization, ER, hospital, ICU, is about a third of the doctors on staff. The other two thirds were furloughed, slowed down, outpatient surgeries were canceled. I have a client who actually had two women who were needle biopsy positive for breast cancer, who delayed their surgery for almost six months, lumpectomy and radiation for almost six months because the hospital was either shut down or they were afraid to come in. And I'm sure that put extra strain on my client as well. She's a general surgeon in a small town in Indiana. So there's all sorts of different ways that COVID makes it difficult for us to feel like we're making the difference we're here to put. Real quick. So if I've got a person coming in 
as a coach, and we'll talk about this, and they are telling me that they're they're worried, they're stressed, they're having difficulties with their relationship, they're having difficulties getting their work done, maybe they're having some trouble sleeping at night, maybe they've lost some weight. We do do a, a short depression screening, not a survey, not anything formal, but we do check to see if we think the person has symptoms of major depression before we bring them into a coaching relationship. Specifically, we talk about things like suicide, just to make sure that the person is not worse off than we might think on an initial conversation. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, there's been several times where a person's suffering and symptoms that they have are intense enough that they've considered suicide, just in the people that I've dealt with. And I have a spidey sense for knowing when to ask directly. And I just ask the question. I don't pussyfoot around it. So ask me the question that you ask. So it sounds like you've been really feeling miserable here. Has it gotten so bad that you thought about harming yourself or ending your life? And generally, they'll they'll tell you the truth about it. Of course, you don't know. I mean, they're on the other end of the phone. Right. And I say, yes. And you say? I said, well, okay. So what have you thought about doing? Uh, shooting myself. Okay. Do you have guns in the house? I do. Okay. Are you planning to do this now? No, but a couple of weeks ago, it seems like it was a little touch and go. How did you get through that? Talk to my brother. Okay. You talked to your brother and, and how did that affect you? Well, he, he, he slapped a little sense into me and I put the guns back in the safe. Now I'm going to stop this little role play right now because those are some of the conversations that we get into in situations where we're we're going down the rabbit hole of judging whether a person's a suicide risk or not. And then one of the things that we will do as coaches and, and that Pam will do as a coach who's therapy experienced and is a psychiatrist is we will refer people for psychiatric evaluation. Because one of the things we don't do, even though, again, we have two psychiatrists on our staff of coaches here at the Happy MD, you're not meant to be their shrink and their coach at the same time. That's true. <laughs> so sometimes we'll say, look, I'd be happy to continue to coach with you to rebuild a more ideal practice and keep you accountable on that action plan. But I need you to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist now and get evaluated to see if there isn't something else that should be going on at the same time. Yeah, I've referred a number of them. And sometimes psychotherapy alone is enough to explore and make a difference to them in the symptoms that they're having. And when we've determined that what's going on is longstanding, it's early in origin, and it's recurrent, and it's got them totally immersed in, in whatever that is. Stuck. But they're not able to put it on the sh shelf and look at what's in the here and now and what they would like to accomplish. So then they would need treatment, sometimes psychotherapy. Sometimes they also need medications. One physician that I had, she needed both. And the psychiatrist that she saw was not somebody that also just does psychotherapy. I'm an old guard, so I do I would do both. You know, I, I can do a lot of talk therapy and I can do psychopharmacology, but that's not the case with every psychiatrist now in the, the younger ones that have that have come out. Right. 
And so the person has to talk with the professionals they're considering to see, are they suited? And do I feel some rapport with them? And do I feel like that they're going to have care for me? Let's talk just a little bit about, and I'll tell you my perception. I'm not a psychotherapist, okay? I've had my share of personal therapy, right? And I'm a coach and I've had my share of coaches. But the way I look at it is this. If the person is capable of identifying a more ideal practice that they would like to create, and they're capable of taking new actions and walking a path in that direction... We'll continue on coaching as long as I don't think there's any major comorbidity or they're suicidal or anything like that. But sometimes what will happen is family of origin issues, PTSD from previous things they've gone through in their training or in their previous practice will stop them from being able to move forward from this point in time. It's a stopper. And as a coach, I'm always helping people move forward. And when I think about somebody who gets stopped by stuff coming from the past, that's when I start thinking about psychotherapy. If it's PTSD, EMDR, eye motion desensitization reprogramming. EMDR is a great treatment for PTSD, where you get hijacked by emotions that you know come from negative events in your past. There's uh, times when coaching is appropriate, even if a person is moderately distressed, and there's times when they can't progress. That's when I think about EMDR and psychotherapy referrals. I've had a number of them that I was coaching at the same time that they were in the therapy. And there's actually been a number of my clients who have, say, for example, early histories of sexual abuse that tend to come up or erupt into their consciousness and interfere with their ability to do their work. And sometimes that can push them to workaholism, that kind of history. And I know that in the 12 sessions of our trailblazer coaching program, I am not going to be able to effectively help them address and resolve that. So I know they need more than just me. And the goals of the the therapy are different from the goals of the coaching. Right. And so one of the things that we've always offered, I've always offered this as a coach, and I've been a coach since uh, 2002, is that we will take anybody who wants a second opinion or wants an opinion from a coach. We happen to be physicians and we happen to be specifically skilled in burnout prevention and treatment. But our discovery session is always no cost, no obligation, completely confidential, where we can sort of outline a strategic plan from a coach's perspective on what we would recommend that you consider doing to change your circumstances. And the interesting thing is, like all expressions of Einstein's insanity trap, you do have to take different actions to get different results. And that's what we're here to do is facilitate you selecting and taking new actions and changing the results that you're getting in your life. What's funny is that some of these individuals that I've recommended that they get treatment They said, you know, Pam, I never would have done that if I hadn't had those conversations with you. I knew I needed it, but I wouldn't have done it. So I count that as a win for that person. Right. Well, and and that's one of those expressions of burnout's highest and best use. Burnout's highest and best use is to break you in a good way, to force you onto a path with more purpose. And what we're here to do is to help facilitate people at that crisis point turning towards the light. 
showing you that somebody's got your back. Here we are, we're doctors, right? You and I are doctors, we're also coaches. And for a lot of our coaching clients, our coaching relationship is perhaps the first supportive relationship from a colleague they've ever had because of the competitive nature of medical school residency and the, the programming we get in our residency to never show weakness, not allowing us to get specifically close to our colleagues in a way that we do as coach and client. My secret dream that's not a secret, Dyke, okay. is to undo that medical culture. Of course. And so that that's what I'm working on with every single person I connect with, whether they decide to sign on for coaching or not. But it's providing that kind of care, that compassion, because I really feel it. This is just me being with them. Well, and I would think that, and again, I don't have any direct experience of this, but I would think that there's a couple of cultural shifts that would support more collegiality, more a got your back, more community amongst physicians. One would be the work hour restrictions that went into place in 2003, 2004, right? So people are not crushed like grapes <laughs> in the vat by the big feet of the of the administration, right? And number two, the fact that the majority of physicians these days are women, the neuroanatomy and culture and everything that goes into being a woman can make a difference to the profession when you become the majority. You know, you know, women are not the majority yet, but the majority of folks in medical school and residency programs are women at this point. It's coming through the system. So perhaps that will make a difference. Well, I hope so. And i just kind of sprinkling my secret sauce on on what I do every day, like you are. Right. And the other thing that I think will make a difference too, and it's analogous to the young, the young people coming up are different, is that our generation, so I'm over 60. I think you're over 60. Yeah. So we're what I call boomer. <laughs> boomer gunners, right? So we're boomers, which means we had unrestricted work hours in residency, and we're gunners. So we were oriented towards production. We were oriented towards high volume practices. Yeah. And we still tend to be that way. But you know, when I look out on audiences, when I'm in a live training setting, and I see 40% of the room has hair the color of mine, by the way, mine is a sexy silver. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I see that it's a retirement cliff, and I think it to myself, what will the culture of physicians be like 15 years from now when all the boomer gunners are gone? That's that's a big question. You know, they got to make some more residency programs first because we got too many medical students graduating. They they can't match because there's not enough places to put them. Right. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah. (laughs) That just prepares for the next option. There we go. And so one of the things that you may see if you are a coach or if you are looking for a coach, or if you are wanting to be a wellness champion, you may see these little brush fire conversations on social media between coaches and therapists and psychiatrists about, and I've seen it in the literature, there's been several different uh, things in the literature, there is an overlap between burnout and depression. There is a usefulness for coaches and therapists, and they are not mutually exclusive. And that's where I stand on this issue in 2021. Your thoughts? I would just add, Dyke, you know, because I've experienced both. I've been in, you said you've, you've experienced a lot of psychotherapy. 
yourself, well, for sure I have. And I had a rip-roaring post-traumatic stress disorder that the therapy did what it would do. But when my life started to open up, once I got kind of my bearings on that other stuff, then I needed coaching. Only I, I didn't realize that such was available for physicians. Right. And so here we are. And it's a whole new opening of people's lives in a different form. And I will say too, I do believe there's a significant difference for a physician where your burnout or your, your need for coaching is because of something that's going on in your practice, not just life coaching. There is a benefit to having a coach who is a physician because the indoctrination procedure of medical school and residency that we all go through is unlike anything else. And if you have not been through that yourself, there are certain aspects of our life experience you can't understand if you're not a physician. It's like me trying to coach an Iraq war veteran, and I've never done a tour of duty. Now, that's a little bit extreme, but medical training is a little bit extreme. My phrase is, if you've never had your shoes full of amniotic fluid, you can't coach somebody who has. At least you can't coach them to the full depth of their experience. And again, that's another opinion that I have. What do you think? Well, I have worked with Iraq veterans. And (laughs) even though I have never been to Iraq, (laughs) and they've shown me some things for sure. If I wasn't open to what they could show me, then I wouldn't be able to help them at all. And so that matters, I think. If I tried to make them fit into my box, then I'm going to be a do-nothing as a therapist or as a psychiatrist. And so that's, that's sometimes what some of the physicians run into when they, when they get a non-physician coach who thinks that you're high-functioning, you're high-achieving, and so therefore you should follow these nine steps to your nirvana, and I know them, and if, and if you just do what I tell you to do, things are going to be fine. And we know that's not going to work because <laughs> we, <laughs> we go, now, wait a minute, we're an individual person, chick. <laughs> that actually sounds like they're following the, the advice of coaching guru of some kind. Well, they, that, not only that, but um, certain criteria for even ICF certification. Oh, you have to ask powerful questions. Here's our definition of what a powerful question is. And if you don't do it that way, then it's not going to cut the mustard. So I think there has to be a lot of empathy and authenticity in the conversation where you you really let the person tell you how it is for them and help them along their way. And, And it may not look like the typical ICF endorsed conversation. And that person. If you're listening to this conversation and you're saying, what is this coaching stuff anyhow? I, you know, I either don't understand it or I don't believe it in it or I've never experienced it. That's why we offer the discovery session as a free call. So again, thehappymd.com, hammer the coaching button and take a look at Pam's bio and the bios of the other coaches there. And if you feel like you would benefit, book a discovery session. Let us show you what this is all about. Pam, anything else you want to say about the overlaps and battles and controversies and and discussion of coaching versus therapy. Not right now. I think we we can launch into a whole new conversation of it, but thank you for this time, Dyke. Right on. Great to have you. So again, Dyke Drummond, 
uh, Physicians on Purpose podcast. Come see us at thehappymd.com. Pam's bio is there. Pam, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. All right. See ya.